You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Loretta, for those that haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're talking about today. My name is Loretta Bosing. I'm the founder of Unite for Safe Medications. Unite for Safe Medications is a nonprofit that started after I learned about the many issues with Miller Pharmacy. Then from there, I learned about the issues with corporate pharmacies, with our pharmacy deserts. I keep learning about all the issues with pharmacy that are just really deteriorating conditions, not just for patients, but for our pharmacists too. Loretta, it's cool coming from you because as I read some of your background, you're not coming at this from a selfish reason like I might as an independent pharmacy owner. You're coming at it from a patient, from your child being a patient. Is that right? You're right. Yeah. My son, Wesley, he had a liver transplant at the age of two. One of the things I tell you whenever they put your child on the transplant list is that they will be on medications for the rest of their life. So of course we said, yes, get us on the transplant list, whatever we have to do. This advocacy has really developed from that. It's just, so starts with his liver transplant and then having to be on medications. Not long after that, we used Melota Pharmacy for his medications and then his liver transplant rejected. And sadly, I at that time, his medications were shipped on a 102 degree day and I thought, this is just weird. Why would they ship this in just a bag? It didn't feel right in my gut. I questioned it, but I just told myself I'd never use Miller Pharmacy unless I could prove it was safe. And then in 2018, we were forced to Miller Pharmacy. And that's really where my advocacy began was uh, right away I had to determine how hot are the trucks getting? Is this really safe? Is anyone really regulating this? And then that's whenever I started just unfolding all of the issues with not just Miller Pharmacy, but with corporate pharmacy, PBMs. I learned about PBMs. It was very interesting how this all came about. I remember when I was on my honeymoon, and my wife still talked to me about this, but we went to this National Ice Cream Place, and I got this sundae that I bought, and it came out, and it was like a tiny, like, watermelon scoop. You know those watermelon ball scoopers? I was ready for this big sundae, and it was like, it felt like it was a couple of those scoops. And so I got ticked off. And that's back when I was more uh, impatient and worse than I am now. But I got mad and I took that ice cream bowl. And in an act of defiance, I set it outside of my car. I put it on the parking lot. I wasn't about to throw that away. They're going to earn their money because I only got those little scoop balls of ice cream. Here's the thing. I can decide now not to go back to that place. But you're saying that you were forced to go to mailer. So, hey, if somebody else wants 110 degree medicine, fine, but I'll go somewhere else where I know that's not going to happen. But you were forced into it. No other option, even after 30 calls, just begging and pleading with CVS Specialty Pharmacy, please don't make me put my son's medications in these conditions. They refused to budge. And that was even after they shipped his medications, again, on a hot day with no ice pack. And then after I had reached out to my UPS driver and I'm like, how hot are the back of those trucks getting? He's, it is so hot back there that I cannot breathe. He, and that was on a 
90 degree day that I asked him. And by noon, all the ice packs in my lunchbox are melted. I said, do you have any air conditioning in there at all? And he's, I'm like, even in the front, he's like, I got that little fan there. And I'm like, no, that's not okay. No one warned me. I didn't know. So then I reached out to UPS petitioner at that time. She has over a million supporters on her petition for UPS uh, to air condition, not the front of the vehicles where the drivers are, but the back where medications are stored. And that's because she has pictures of those trucks getting 150 to 160 degrees in, in the summer. And it's just so sad to know that's what the drivers are exposed to. That's why most of our medications in the United States are being shipped and don't know how we got here. I know this issue has been raised in the past. 20 years ago, I found out even with my state board of pharmacy, there was this was an issue that was brought up and discussed. There was a UPS driver in the news that they showed him feigning on one of those Google doorbells. They showed him feigning. And I talked to my drivers that came in the pharmacy. They said, yeah, there's been a, been a few of those across the nation. Loretta, let me back up a second. Mm -hmm. As you think back to your first medicine, you said there was no packaging. Was there an ice pack in there? No. It wasn't literally, even that. No. And it was a liquid oral medication, which now I know that a lot of the liquid oral medications used for like specialty conditions and for pediatrics, those are not always even tested for stability. Yeah. So to ensure that medication is protect protected is so important, but even just as important as warning the public that this is an issue and that if you're getting your medications by mail, you don't need to just worry about the mailbox. You need to worry about how is that medication being transported throughout yeah. the supplies chain. And for our listeners that may not see this, the package inserts that come with every drug, they say in there what excursions are permitted. They'll say this is a refrigerated drug, but excursions are permitted up to 84 degrees for two days, whatever it is. That's listed in there. And I've got to believe that what you're telling me was way above those. Oh, yeah. If it was a 102-degree day, that truck was far above 104 degrees that the Millwater pharmacies like to go by. They like to say it wasn't over 104 degrees that day, so it should be okay because USP, they will claim, will allow it to get to 104. Unfortunately, that's just not always the case. How, how do the mail-order companies get around that excursion in the pamphlet? How do they even come up with their own figures that are higher than that? It seems mm -hmm. like we, you, it seems like a no-brainer that consumers, especially if they're forced into this situation, can say, look, the excursions are this. So how do they even say, well, okay, it's not 84, but it's 104. How do they even do that? So there are on occasion where manufacturers may offer information that may show that the medication was tested up to a higher stability level. But for patients, that's not transparent. And honestly, that's not always transparent to pharmacists either. I know pharmacists have reached out for that information and they don't they won't provide that information directly to the pharmacist unless they give like a direct scenario. OK, this patient received a medication on a 100 degree day. It was in the mailbox for this long. But no one really knows how hot that mailbox yeah. reached. No one knows how hot that truck was that it shipped to. So 
no, it's really everybody's best guess as far as whether or not that medication is really safe. And then as far as how do they get around that at the Moeta Pharmacy? Good question, because in my state, the the regulations are that the through the State Board of Pharmacy, the regulation is that they must either adhere to the manufacturer's guidelines or the uh, USP's guidelines. And I found out that's not happening. When I called the manufacturer, they told me to discard my son's medication. Whenever I contacted uh, USP, I found out that what they should be going by is the temperature that's on the label, like you had mentioned, the excursion. Absolutely alarming that they've been able to get by with it. Even after I filed the complaint, State Board of Pharmacy did not do anything. It's hard after knowing that not to just want to jump into action and say, wow, I can't believe this has been going on that long. Nobody's doing anything. Someone's got to start fighting. And I find out that pharmacists have been on this for years trying to fight for us to ensure that our medications were shipped safely by mail. And it's mostly at the independent pharmacist that's been there fighting for us. And I've I've got some pretty good information from these pharmacists that's emailed state boards of pharmacies about the issues. They'll forward me their emails sometimes and their communication. I can tell you it's it feels like we're definitely up against the Goliath. There's a lot of conflicts of interest. The pharmacy boards that are established to protect patients. You're seeing a conflict there. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It is so sad. I, it feels so impossible, but I can't stop trying. This is such a common sense issue. I just got fined by my state board. I had an impeccable record with my state pharmacy board. In the last few months, this inspector comes by and she said I wasn't putting the right initials on a prescription, non-controlled prescription that was transferred to a local pharmacy. Some pharmacists got pissed at me for putting the wrong initials on there or something. And I got fined by the board. And here's a situation where it's a tricky situation in a pharmacy when it comes to transferring prescriptions. It's phone calls. It's getting put on hold. It's calling a busy pharmacy who's not answering their phone for 45 minutes. It's a tricky situation. And what ticks me off is that here, the inspector is coming, looking at one of the trickiest situations in a pharmacy, because I'm dealing with some chain stores. God bless them. There's some good ones, but there's some crappy ones. I'm dealing with them to try to get the right information for transfers and things. And pretty soon you just give up. It sucks that they're picking on that baloney and they're not giving a damn about the stuff that you're talking about. It's ridiculous. You got it. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just a temperature issue. Delays. Patients not getting medications for days. Suffering and pain. Suffering because they can't focus at work because they didn't get their medications to help their anxiety, their ADHD. Suffering with the ability where they lose their ability to walk because their MS medications don't arrive on time. So how is it that this is okay? And what's really alarming is when it really hits home, it's like the transplant patients going without medications for days. One day, if I withheld my son's medication, what would happen? I would be, I would get charged for child abuse. I would be neglect. But the PBMs or mail-order pharmacies that they force us to, they can do this every day. And yeah, you're right. State boards just turn the other way. Nobody's protecting patients. There's no justice. Why are they turning the other way? It's obvious why. And it's one, it's not regulated. They Like you got fined. 
what do they get? Nothing happens. It's happening. Every, you can look at on the consumer report sites. You can look on all of our social media. There's so many people complaining. A lot of people, they don't know where to complain to. So PBMs will tell our legislators, even sometimes the state boards of pharmacy will say, we don't get a lot of complaints. Well, most patients don't know where to complain to. So I went to Florida. I let them know. I'm like, most patients, they don't even know where to complain to. Can you at least maybe put that on the package? Oh, that was like a big, I never seen a board work so quickly to get through that committee and end it. They they would not even do that. Are you saying that I got fined and you're saying that these companies are so big that they might fine them something and that's going to be the end of it? Is that what you were alluding to? Well, that was recently, I believe in California, maybe, that there were some fines issued. But the fine was like less than a percentage of United Healthcare's wealth. I mean, what's that going to do? You know, that's not, it was Optum. And I'm like, that's not, that's going to just be like, okay, we'll just figure that in the budget for the year, you know, and move on. Who cares? It's just patience, right? That's what it feels like. The boards just are not protecting us. It's absolutely, I hate to say it, but it's their fault that for every patient that goes without medications, for every patient that gets harmed. Loretta, you and I met just at the show here and I saw some of your stuff before, but it's really cool that you're not a Karen. Because I, I don't want to be a Karen. I didn't know. I thought I was going to come on here and you were just going to maybe just like gripe about something. But but your stuff is structured and deep and focused just from our little conversation we've had right here. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Could you have done any of this without the Internet? Was that a huge thing to get other people involved. I always think back to the Me Too movement. That kind of happened now with uh, this guy, whoever, CNN. That kind of happened because of the internet in my mind. How much has the internet played a part in this? A whole lot a part of it because there's so many amazing people that I would not have been able to connect with otherwise. This is such a very detailed um issue. You, I, w- I have a background in the past. I was a social worker, worked in hospitals, a little bit of background in insurance. If I wouldn't have even had that, I think it would have even been harder for me yeah. to understand how to navigate the channels. It's hard. It's a lot. But yeah, for sure. Twitter and every day, that's my goal is to reach yeah. out. I, I don't have the money. I don't have yeah. this wealthy position. I don't have a spot on the board. I don't have the connections on the board. But what I have is an amazing group of patients and pharmacists, and especially the pharmacists who have just been willing to help teach me about the issues and involve me when there's opportunities to speak and for patients' voices to be heard. Without that, without social media, I don't know I'd be able to do any of this. Even with social media and even with all the stuff we have, it's still like you turn around one day and it all seemed to be swept under the rug. But that's with everything. So you can only imagine how this would go if people couldn't communicate as well as they can now on the Internet slash social media. Right. Well, yeah. So in the very beginning, that's what started it. Everyone may think, too, with the pharmacist, that's where it started. It really started with reaching out to that UPS petitioner. She's like, you need to start a change.org petition. And I did. And from there, we got a lot of support. It grew to, I believe it has 178,000 supporters to stop the forcing a milliliter pharmacy. And then whenever I called the U.S. Department of Labor, I didn't have a Twitter account. 
But after the U.S. Department of Labor said, the representative said, we get these calls all the time. This, You're not the only one. And unfortunately, it's unfair. It may be unethical, but it's not illegal. So that's when I'm like, oh, this is awful. He's like, here's what I suggest you do. Start a Facebook group and start a Twitter. And that's where my Twitter started. <laughs> I believe it's just amazing. <laughs> it seems that if you define this a certain way, it is illegal. For example, I'm thinking about misbranding, that you're selling medicine and you're saying it's this, but it shows up and it's no longer that because of chemical reactions or degradation, whatever. So it seems like if lawmakers or lawyers got even relatively creative, they could come up with a bunch of laws why something is not valid if you order it, but it shows up as not that. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like it should be labeled as a fraud or a scam. And I just tweeted to FTC about that today. (laughs) I keep trying to let them know that, hey, this is an issue. It's going on and you're not doing anything. But honestly, it's going to take a lot more than that because it can make every rule, every law. But if no one's there to enforce the law, like in Missouri, we have a great rule. Who's So now who's held accountable when they don't follow it? So I called the attorney general's office in my state, too. And I'm like, hey, the state board's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I need to report these companies. And they said, that's not a consumer issue. A consumer issue would be like someone built a deck and didn't finish the job. And that would be a consumer complaint issue that you could report. And I'm like, so you can deliver me medications (laughs) that are junk. And that's not a complaint. And the state boards of pharmacy don't do anything. And I can't complain about that either. So I'm not done with them yet. (laughs) All right. Now, just a second, Loretta. Mm -hmm. When we were talking about the state boards, first of all, Mm -hmm. I was thinking that as you were telling me, I was thinking, okay, they're getting bought out by these companies or something. But then we talked a little bit about how, well, these fines don't help and things like that. But now we're talking again about the state boards not doing anything. If you could lean a certain way, is there something nefarious going on with state boards? Like they're protecting these big companies because they're somehow greasing their their board pockets or something? It's obvious that's what's happening. And if you look at the state board's funding, it comes a lot from these large companies that we're against. I didn't know that. It does? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. And uh, um, also, you... Uh, okay, so Missouri's board at one time, the president told me that it's not just an issue with the mail-order pharmacies, but there are independent pharmacies, too, that are mail-order pharmacies that, you know, if they had to package those medications correctly, it could hurt them as well. But the problem is that we're not given an option. Like you said, we're not given an option. So something has to be done. We have to do something to protect patients. And I'm sorry for those who's going to be hurt by that, but it should be patient safety first. And that's what the board says that they're there for. So years ago, there was a car called the Pinto. I think it was Ford or something. And Mm -hmm. you read a lot about it in business law books, but it's kind of cliche now. But basically it was that the Pintos were exploding because the gas tank was in the back of the car in a bad spot or something like that. So the lesson goes that the Pinto maker decided how much money is it going to cost to recall this versus paying for people who have died and It came out that it's a lot cheaper just to pay off the lawsuits of people who had died than having this recall. And it sounds to me like 
this is just a big nothing burger for these big manufacturers and PBMs yeah. and so on, because there's just nothing that's going to hurt them. But I've got ideas. Do you? All right. Like ideas as far as what would hurt them. Yeah. Here's what hurts them. And this isn't my thought. This is some prior guess mm-hmm. I've had, but the money hurts them, of course. But let's say we can't attack them by the money. So then, and I, I know you've thought of this, but then it's embarrassment. And embarrassment comes by having them across the news. And so my next mm-hmm. question, and this is maybe obvious of where I'm going with that, but have we tried to get John Stossel in front of these people with a microphone in their face and whoever the people are, I forget who they are, but I'll just say John Stossel. That exemplifies where I'm going with that. Yeah, absolutely. Some always trying to reach out to media to try to get them to cover the issue and to cover the story. Here's the problem that I face a lot of times is that often... I spent a lot of time at, so NBC reported on the issue with issues with Moeta Pharmacy and did an in-depth investigative report. There were some really brave patients that spoke up, but that was over a year in the making. It took a long time to find patients who were brave enough to speak up, and many of them had remained anonymous, just like the pharmacist speaking out can be risky. And whenever you're speaking out and your insurance is through your employer, or you're speaking out and your insurance is even through the government. Some people are afraid of the government retaliating some way or the one pharmacy that they're allowed to use. They're afraid that they'll come back and do something in retaliation because they spoke out. It's really sad because you, as much as you want to reach out to me and you do, that's absolutely a huge part of what I do. It's going to take a lot more than that even. And sadly, whenever you look at those articles and you look at PICMAs, PICMAs, the Pharmaceutical Care mm-hmm. Management Association, the lobbyists for the PBMs and the Miller pharmacies, you look at what they say. So in, in our NPR article that discussed specifically my son's story, NPR, our, our PICMA said, we adhered to, it was along the lines of this, I don't want to quote directly, but it was, we adhered to all the FDA's guidelines for mail order pharmacies. That's great, PICMA, but there's, there. I called the FDA and the FDA told me that they don't regulate mail order pharmacies. So that's complete deception. You're not warning the public, you're not warning our physicians. And the same thing that they'll say with NBC, it was something similar, like, you know, well, refrigerated medications, we include ice packs with those, but but it's like they completely ignore the room temperature medications. It's yeah. unreal that they're able to like just sway the public. And that, in that article, they talked about adding temperature sensors. Of course, they're reluctant to do that. I did receive some temperature sensors from TempTime and shipped them throughout the middle of the summer. Not one came back within the acceptable temperature yeah. range. And then a USP has a mean kinetic temperature that they allow medications to reach. We got data loggers, shipped those across. None of them were within the mean kinetic temperature ranges allowed by USP. I forget where I read it one time, but they were talking about if the government really wanted to clamp down on people speeding, they could do it so easily. They could put chips here or do this or have all these cameras and sensors and all that. If they really wanted to stop speeding, they could do it. Your mm-hmm. stuff there. If they even gave a, a hoot, they would put in sensors on all this stuff. Easy to do. Right. They don't want to do oh, it, yeah. of course. No. And it would be, really, they would need to monitor the temperatures that medications are being shipped in, such as some type of logger in the UPS truck. So UPS is working on that. and I, But as long as it's not required, as long as there's no regulation, it's really 
hindering innovation in these areas where we need it. I don't think we would be having this issue if 20 years ago they would have dealt with the issue as they should have, as they as patients were starting to get forced to mow at our pharmacies. But yeah, as long as no one's tracking it, no patients are being warned. And even with regulation, it's their word against mine on how the medication was shipped in a way. Loretta, I know if I was in your position, I would want what's good for my child and society and all that. I would want this problem to be changed. But as I went along, I would get so pissed that I would love to see a hailstorm of um, fire coming down on the PBM CEOs. I would get so mad at them. What is your goal now? I want change. I'm angry. Absolutely. I'm angry. I'm angry. It's more sad than anger. It's Mm -hmm. just when it's really hot outside and I walk out and I know that there are just other parents of children who are getting their medications that way. Yeah. It's hard, but um, it's not, you know, the sadness just motivates me. And sometimes it may come across as angry, but really I'm very loving. It's just, I, I love people and you just don't hurt people. And on top of that, laws have to change and they have to be enforced. Laws. Laws, rules. Yeah, I get in trouble whenever I say laws to the Board of Pharmacy. So I gotta make sure I say rules. But again, we talked about there probably are laws being broken, misbranding and all that oh. kind of stuff. It almost sounds like when somebody says rules, they want to pretend like it's, I'm just putting evil thoughts into them. But it's almost when they say rules, they want to pretend that it's not a law. It's just a rule. It's like, no, it's, it's a law. Yeah, you need to enforce it. Do your job. Protect us. This is like the most important thing you do. All of, all of what they do is talking about medications being held in a way the entire process, every process that the pharmacies do has to be a certain way to protect the patient's what a patient doesn't even get their medications and you do nothing for weeks they don't get their medications and they do nothing but it's beyond that now and it's so much bigger because after i learned about the issues with milwater pharmacy there was a corporate chain pharmacist that also started reaching out to me and finding out that our pharmacy our local pharmacies were closing well i want what's best for my child not just for today so i get special treatment now we get to use our local pharmacy for wesley's specialty meds Hmm. but and with the board of pharmacy an inspector said oh you're probably gonna get special treatment now and said it in a way as if that would be enough that would just walk away and i would just be fine but no he's gonna be on these medications forever and now it's by that time i had already connected with thousands of other patients through social media that were having the same issues and And I couldn't stop there. No, you're not going to do this anymore to patients and think you're going to get by with it. And I don't care if I have to spend every day of my life fighting for it. It's going to stop. And I hope that, you know, and I I know I'm saying that, but I, I have to believe that in my heart. But like I said, I know that there are people that have been fighting this issue a long time before me, just like the issues with chain pharmacy. They hit the spotlight because of COVID, but there are people that were fighting that so long before. And I hope that this isn't just a generation where the issues are mentioned, they hit the news, and then we just continue on business as usual because these issues were brought to the board yeah. a long time ago, both of them, and nothing was done. So I hope that we're we're the we're a generation that changes things and 
that we continue to encourage the next generation of pharmacists and patients yeah. to to advocate because these guys were all pharmacists and patients were all being used just as as siphons for their profits. It's not about care. Maybe the boards have to be embarrassed somehow. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be speaking at the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy meeting in, in Oklahoma City next month. And I absolutely will be speaking about the issues with the boards. And I will be trying to get as much media as I can there. And I hope that anyone listening would also do the same because it's important that the board is held accountable for their inaction in this issue. And if they're not able whether it's because of corruption or whether it's because of the issues is too large for them to handle because maybe they don't have the staff or the people to handle them, then we need something else in place yeah. to make sure patients are safe. Loretta, if you go to the board and let's say you get all the boards listening to you, I wish that you could say, we need a change on this. We need to change. And then you just say, and Mike is pissed off because you charge him a thousand dollar fine for those damn initials. <laughs> I wish I could say it too. I absolutely have thought about an interesting ending like that. I want to have an interesting moment where maybe I can be a Karen just for like a few <laughs> seconds. I don't know if I'll get brave enough, but we'll see. Loretta, <laughs> of the people that contact you through social media or online and things like that, what percent? And guess if you need to. Some of the people you don't know. But what percent is male versus female? When I look at the website visits, it's about 60% female, 40% male. I want more than that. It doesn't seem shifted enough because arguably more women do yeah. the medicine part. I know my wife, if I'm at work, she's the one that's getting the antibiotic three times a day to the kids and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But 60-40 seems a little weak. What I want, if I've got something I want to get done, I want a woman to do it, a pissed off woman. <laughs> I can tell you, the, I, now the fighters, I will say, are mostly women. Are like the ones who are more willing to speak to the media. That's what we need, more, more pissed ones, off women. I hate to say it, but yeah, usually they are very much, you mess with our children. Absolutely. And that's another thing. The parents are usually more brave than just the individual person that gets the wrong medication yeah. or that doesn't get their medication for days. It's usually the moms that are just like, no, not my kid. You're not doing the same. And at first you come off like a Karen because you are angry. You are hurt that someone's hurting your child. And there's moms that's had to see their children go days without their cancer treatment. And it's just, how do you do that and not get angry? I don't know the definition of Karen, but I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to make it up. The definition of a Karen is someone who has an inordinate response, too high of a response for not a big enough issue, right? They're going in at a 10 when the issue is a two. This is the opposite of that. Here you've got an issue that's a 10. My child might die and that should go up to two, five, 10. That should be a comparable thing. So I was joking about the Karen. This has nothing to do with that because it's the flip of this, right? This is an important right. issue that you can hardly ever do enough for this. No, I agree. And when you see the patients in that situation, and here's the sad thing, after they'll tell me this has happened, and then I say, hey, will you share your story with media? Will you file these complaints? 
they're too afraid to. So many are too afraid to because they're afraid if they do, they'll make their employer mad. They'll lose their insurance. It's so messed up. We're not supposed to call the insurance up and complain about the PBMs and stuff, but we do sometimes. And once Mm -hmm. in a while, you'll get somebody who doesn't know they're not supposed to talk to us. And they'll say, okay, we're going to do something about it the next day. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to talk to someone. And then they'll say, we'll call you back tomorrow and let you know the price difference. You got someone who you think is on your side. And then the last day they call and they say, we're not going to do that. It was nice talking to you. Someone on the top told them to clamp it down. And you don't know who's the mafia in this thing. You don't know who's got the tentacles where, whether it's your employer, the board, your boss, your insurance. You just don't know. Yeah. And I think that social media, again, helped me there because I think to me, being able to get that story out in the news right away with our local news, it helps a little bit more with that fear because I'm like, okay, it's in the news now. Now, if they fire, it'll be another news story. If they retaliate, it's going to be another news story. And you better believe there will be. But it is a fear. I mean, it's uh, there's fear of for the longest time. I was afraid to even go outside. Because you're afraid, like you, someone may try to come after you and kill you because you realize now that you're fighting against the wealthiest corporations in our nation. Yeah. You're not fighting against just like the neighbor next door, you yeah. know, even it's, it's, this is a, a big deal, but we do need people that are brave enough to say, look, this is an injustice and someone has to risk it all and be yeah. willing to get out there and fight for it. I had a guy one time that we were in a little bit of a legal, I forget what exactly, but I brought a baseball bat and put it under my bed. You just don't know. You have this feeling and we don't have guns in the house. We're not against them. I know usually more negatives come with a gun in your house than a positive sometime because the kids might get them or there might be a family argument, things like that. So for whatever reason, we don't have guns. But I did sleep with my baseball bat underneath my bed. Is that what you do? Just about, especially when I'm traveling out in a minute now, when I'm going to other states and I'm not sharing a room with anybody. Yeah, I've got like my hairspray ready. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Curling iron, whatever you can find, block the doors. It's scary. I'll be honest with you. It's not that I don't realize the risk. It's that you got to put your fears aside and you have to go out and fight for what's right. And if we don't start fighting for our local pharmacies and to be able to access them and safe access to medications, then what's going to happen later on whenever your kid is even grown up and he needs an antibiotic or everyone should know after the pandemic just how important that pharmacies are to public health in general. Yeah. People think of the now, but you got to think of the later. What's going to happen next time? Yeah. If I don't fight this fight and Wesley ends up in the hospital and I have to see him in pain and suffering because I didn't fight this for him. The mail order pharmacies, I have them on recording too, saying that they support what we're doing, keep doing it. You know, They believe in local pharmacy access. They know that the rules and the guidelines that they're shipping these medications out, they're not, they're going by guidelines that aren't set. Even recently on Facebook, PillPack Pharmacist said, you're blaming the, blaming the pharmacist. We don't have any control or say over it. We have to do what the corporate corporation says. I'm like, oh, I get it. I know you don't want to risk it all and lose your job. And maybe you're not the one, but someone has to be able to say, wait a second, this isn't right. And I, I just, know. I hope for more whistleblowers out of this. Loretta, the mail order companies saying that they are with you is kind of like hearing O.J. Simpson standing up for women's rights. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like, I think here's the issue, and it goes with the uh, retail pharmacists too, the corporate retail pharmacists. They just feel so tied to the company's policies. Mm -hmm. I I do believe that they know that what's happening is wrong, but they just feel so powerless. And I believe it's happening right now as we speak. There's these corporate pharmacies want these young pharmacists. So that way they can hurry up and get them, train them to work themselves to death, train them to just be a policy man, just do your job. You don't have time to ask questions. But we really need the next generation pharmacists. We need someone inspiring them to be more than just the go through the corporate routine every day. You need to get out there and do more. Yeah, the problem with mail-order pharmacy is that it's such a behemoth. It's such a integral part of who they are, that they can even have them changing. Yeah, that's a hard thing. So with Moeter Pharmacy, you do have right now, it's really popular because a lot of people have found that the Moeter Pharmacies have, because the insurance companies own the Moeter Pharmacy, they can set the price at the Moeter Pharmacy at 0 to $30, where they can set the independent price 100%. Yep. So if I'm going to go use my pharmacy there for a while, it's going to be 100% of the cost. That That is a major issue, but that's, what, that's another issue that has to change. And that's why I do advocate also to to change that. And if I can ever speak to legislators on that issue, I will. And that's why, you know, one thing I do like to do is to connect with other advocates on this issue. Mm -hmm. So for example, I've connected with Dan Schneider, the pharmacist I've connected with uh, just online through some of the Insulin for All advocates, the women from the Bleeding Edge, the movie about the issue with Assure and Johnson products. I've heard it, but I didn't see it. Yep. Yeah, those are the people that I try to connect with because they were they're they're successful in what they're doing and I want to be successful in what I'm doing. The hardest thing is realizing all these awesome, amazing advocates and connecting with them is just realizing what brought them there that made them such powerful advocates and it really is their passion and they either themselves or someone that they love were harmed by issues, but they're passionate, they're effective, they're getting the job done. And those are usually the people I'm like, okay, how did you do it? Yeah. And I'll be meeting with Dan Schneider in Oklahoma Mm. next month. And I'm sure that hopefully he'll have some tips for me. And I look forward to that because I am just starting out and I, but I'm willing to take help or to get as much advice from the people that have been successful on this issue. I guess I'm kind of a pessimist when I think about speaking on the big people, but without exception, every cause that has been turned over, whether it's voting rights and, you know, uh, meat packaging and, you know, all of that stuff. I can't think of one that wasn't started grassroots. Yeah. And as you were saying, you don't know where that path is, but if you put enough people out there enough stories somebody breaks through but you don't know who it is yeah exactly and that's why i feel we're out right now we don't know where's this change going to take place it may not be my story but you know what i'm going to use it and i'm going to yell it and we're going to try our best but absolutely look at how like whenever i started when i reached out to the women who are in the bleeding edge that they told me they started the facebook group And then before, I'm like, how long did it take for you to see change? 10 years. It took them 10 years of hearing women's stories, just suffering, just uniting together before they would see change. 
And of course, the Netflix movie also really helped, you know, to raise awareness about the issue because that brought more public pressure and it taught the public. And these issues can be somewhat complex, so it is important that they're taught to the public in that way. And I, I hope in time that we need to tell the story about the patients harmed by Melitor Pharmacy and, and pharmacy deserts erupting and losing access to our, our local pharmacies. The problem with this situation is PBMs have it great because when you get somebody who's sick, they don't a lot of times have the fight inside of them. They're sick. Yes. They're dealing with the hospital. They're dealing with family members. They're worried about insurance, worried about their job. And they're just thankful they have, they're thankful they have some medicine. They're thankful. And that's like a person that doesn't usually fight. So it's an oddity that people like you switch that around and then have that fight in them. It's a great thing, but a lot of people don't have it because they're so downtrodden when they're sick and the family's sick. Yeah, for sure. That's an issue. And it brings a sense of responsibility when you realize that you do have mm -hmm. a voice to fight for them. You, it, yeah. Like when I go outside and it's hot and I start thinking about, oh my goodness, I'm in Missouri. It's not even the hottest state. There's somebody's medications out there. And I get that patients' medications have been melted and it's sitting in their mailbox. Capsules actually melted together. And you know that they're at risk. And it's hard. It's it's a lot of responsibility. So, you know, if you have a voice, you just have to use it. The first time that I realized Wesley's medications was shipped like that, and I thought that it could have been an issue. That was in 2012, you know, I should have started then. And I just, I hope more people won't wait, that they'll learn about the issues yeah. and get involved. Here's the thing. You don't think that a corporation would do something so obvious right under everybody's noses. You'd have to say to yourself, well, of course this is fine. It's a pharmacy that's run by pharmacists. There are studies where they have 10 people in a room and nine of them are actors. And then they ask everybody which line is longer on the blackboard. And the nine people pick the shorter one. And then the 10th person said, I must be wacky today. And they picked the shorter one too. So. When you're doing that with the medicine, everything's telling you that should be fine. And most people just don't question it. They think they're batty if they question it. Yeah, I know. And that's because you had the Miller pharmacies. If you call them, they'll say, oh, it should be okay. You know, it didn't get over 104, you know, but they yeah. ignore that of whatever temperature yeah. the mailbox got. They're really good and trained really well about how the way to kind of ease patients' concerns. And even though deep down after you question them enough, they know it's wrong, but they just know it's not regulated. But you're right. There's that issue. And then you also have on, on, on a larger scale that you have Melwater pharmacies responding. We do ship medications safely. You know, I look at the most recent news articles. There was one news article recently that said the delivery trucks actually take our medications and they bring them inside during the night. And so that way they're not left on the, the trucks all day. There's so much, so much that PICMA and the PBMs put out, like for the delays, they'll say, oh, most medications are delivered oh, yeah. on time, just like they yeah. did 20 years ago. So you look back 20 years ago, you look at the articles and they say, oh, where are you getting that news from? We've delivered millions of these medications and everything was fine. They don't tell the story. Yeah. 
that there's many of complaints of delays and no one's adequately tracking. There is some tracking of it, but we need more. There needs to be more tracking, more accountability just to help protect patients because right now it's just our stories against theirs. And like you you hit on the point that, you know, it's a lot of patients are afraid to or they just don't know because it's really hard to believe that something like this is left unregulated. Let's say that there are some pharmacists listening to this and let's say that we might have three minutes of their attention after they get out of the car after listening to this. What could they do in those three minutes that's going to be the most helpful for you? They could share any patient stories that they can, you know, try to get patients to share their stories. Absolutely follow me on Twitter. We need them to also be vocal, even if they have to anonymously about the issues. They can sign the change.org petition to stop the foreskin milliliter pharmacy. And then we also have a Facebook page, Issues with Milliliter Pharmacy, that you can follow. That uh, There I, I post all issues with uh, no-order pharmacies, with PBMs, with corporate pharmacies. So it's just a mixture of everything just to keep everyone updated on the latest news and what's happening and just get involved, you know, and any suggestions that you have. I wish I could say that I knew everything, but I'm still learning. Loretta, boy, I'm sad to hear your story, but I'm thankful that you've raise this up to do something about it. And my hope is that we all move in the right direction to make some changes on this. I really hope so too. I hope that people will realize that this is not going to take just me or my story again. It's going to take all of us working together. We need a pharmacist, patients, doctors, nurses, just everybody coming together to really try to put some pressure, you know, to get this issue changed. It's just so overwhelming, again, to have their support. And thank you so much for having me. All right, Loretta, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes. Thank you.